Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I see difference between um, inclusiveness and belonging. For me, something as simple as using correct language and simple words make people feel like they belong. Inclusiveness is just the starting point, but I think we need to get to a point where everyone feels like they belong. You're listening to the National Security Podcast, the show that brings you expert analysis, insights, and opinion on the national security challenges facing Australia and the Indo-Pacific. Produced by the ANU National Security College. Welcome to the National Security Podcast. My name is Caroline Van Heusen, Deputy Head of National Security College. I'm here today with co-host Carl Chang from the Office of National Intelligence. Hello, Carl. Hi, Caroline. And a very special guest who we will introduce shortly. First, though, I'd like to acknowledge that we are recording today from the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. I'm genuinely very excited to be co-hosting this episode in place of regular host Olivia Shen, who is studying overseas at the minute. This is the fourth episode in our series on cultural and linguistic diversity in national security. We've talked to date about the importance of diversity in national security, and we've looked at diversity and called representation through the eyes of both Islamic Australians and Chinese Australians. Today, we're going to go behind the scenes, so to speak, and look at this topic through the eyes of a first-generation Australian who works in one of our most secret intelligence agencies, the Australian Secret Intelligence Service. Carl, it would be great if you could introduce our guest. But before you do, can I ask you to provide some background on this particular episode, which from from memory was your idea and it is a first, and give us a sense of why you think this particular conversation is so important. Well, thanks, Caroline, and uh, thanks. It's good to be back on the podcast. Um, I think this is a a unique opportunity for, for us uh, to hear and understand from the perspective of someone who actually works in the intelligence community today, particularly from a culturally link and linguistically diverse background about what it's like to work in the agency, what motivated them to work in the agency, and better understand both what the opportunities and challenges are for people of the cold background and what contribution they can make uh, to to what we do in national security more broadly, but also understanding the opportunities that that presents to people from all walks of life. Um, So with that, uh, I'd like to introduce our special guest, a current employee of the Australian Secret Intelligence Service. And while we can't use our guest's real name or even his voice, these words and this story are his. So Raj, Raj came to Australia from Sri Lanka when 19 years old, He studied ICT at a leading university in Sydney. He spent time in the private sector and in a few different public sector organisations before joining ASIS. He's been promoted uh, while working in ASIS uh, as a team leader uh, and now is currently ASIS's chief 
Technology Officer. Thank you. Raj, welcome. Thanks, Caroline. It's great to have you here. Um, we want to learn a little bit more about the organisation you work for, but first and foremost, I really want to find out why you're doing this. Yeah. Um, so first of all, it, it's a privilege and an exciting opportunity to represent ACES here today. Um, I think this is the first time um, an ACES officer who is not publicly avowed has given a public interview. Um, and as a cold background employee, it, it actually means a lot. And it probably tells you about the importance that ACES places on diversity to be able to make this happen. Yeah, fantastic. And we're thrilled to be part of this um, episode, which is great. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the organisation that you work in? Yeah, sure. Um, so ACES is just one of many agencies within the Australian National Intelligence Community, working alongside the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, or better known as ASIO, the Australian Signals Directorate, ASD, and the Office of National Intelligence, ONI, uh, just to name a few. We are Australia's Foreign Intelligence Collection Agency. ACES collects and distributes secret foreign intelligence information which would otherwise be unavailable to Australia to protect Australia and its interest. But also, um, as a secret intelligence organisation, the identity of all ACES staff cannot be revealed legally. Only three ACES seniors are publicly avowed, uh, are Director General Kerry Hartland and um, ACES's two Deputy Director Generals. So, so Raj, um, just to kind of help people understand, what's different about ACES? How does ACES go about its work? Yeah, uh, because ACES is a human intelligence organization, sometimes people mix ACES up with our close sibling ASIO. Both ACES and ASIO collect human intelligence. Um, however, ACES predominantly focuses on what's happening out there overseas. Um, ASIO has more of a focus on understanding security threats within Australia. Um, this typically means ACES operates in places overseas where others do not, will not, um, or cannot. Um, and, and they identify people who have access to foreign secrets. Uh, what, what sets ACES apart from some of our other Australian intelligence partners like the Australian Signals Directorate, for example, um, who collects signal intelligence and conducts cyber operations, um, ACES's main business involves collecting human intelligence by recruiting intelligence agents. Can you tell us a little bit about your particular role? Yeah, um, so I'm ACES's Chief Technology Officer. Um, so as everyone can imagine, technology is playing such a large role in every organisation and it's quite pivotal for intelligence organisations as well. Um, a, a big part of my role is to think about the opportunities and threats of different and emerging technologies, um, especially for ACES's business, and then um, and come up with ways to minimize these threats and exploit the opportunities on behalf of ACES. So, so from there, Raj, I, I guess I want to just kind of pick on that a little bit and just in terms of what brought you to Australia and then what brought you to a career in government, let alone in an organisation like ACES, what, what motivated you or how did you get here? Yeah, so when I migrated from Sri Lanka, we were still in the midst of a civil war. So I migrated mainly for, you know, um, my personal safety and my family's safety. Even though me and my family were many generations Sri Lankan, we, we never really felt completely at home. Because when you left your home, for example, you had to carry identity cards. And when I used to travel to school, when I was um, checked multiple times and often had to prove my identity, 
and our school bags were even checked. Um, and at any time, if you travel to somewhere outside your home area, you had to actually go and register at a police station. So you never really felt like you belonged or you were welcomed in the country. So yeah, that, that was the main reason we left Sri Lanka and, and came to Australia. And, and I'm quite happy to say I've, I've found a new home in Australia and, and want to contribute to our society as much as I can. This is not on the script, but I do want to ask the question. Why Australia? Um, so I actually had a choice between the UK and Australia because we had relatives in both those places. And Australia was faster in processing our visa application. So, so it <laughs> was a very an good reason. And, and we're the lucky beneficiaries. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and what about the public sector and, and then ACES? How, how did you come to government? So this probably links back to my feeling when I arrived here, like I finally found a home. Um, so it probably also starts with the first election experience I had, especially given my background and the short description I gave earlier. The first time I went to vote, I can't remember whether it was a state election or a federal election, but, but I remember I wasn't asked for detailed identity documents. I was just asked for my name and address. And I could then participate in choosing the next government that is going to, you know, um, determine the future of Australia. That had a very big impact on me. I, I sort of saw at the time how good the system in Australia has, and I wanted to contribute back. Um, so that probably started my public sector journey. And as I went through the public sector, you, you sort of realized protecting the system needs to start outside. And, and what better organization to do that than, you know, ACES. So I made a deliberate choice to join ACES once I understood its function. Um, I, I think there are a lot of people who join ACES for various reasons, but I actually knew as a part of my public sector experience what ACES did, and so that's why I joined. And I think we take for granted the right to vote and that process of democracy, so it's, um, it's great that it's acknowledged, actually. Can we um, talk a little bit about diversity more broadly, Um and inclusion, I guess, in the national security community. We've heard in previous episodes, including through this mini-series, that there are barriers and they're both likely to be real and perceived barriers, um, and particularly for first-generation Australians, to working in intelligence, um, that it's difficult to get in, you don't know what the opportunities are. Now, you just spoke briefly then about knowing who you were going to to end up working for, but that's not always the case. Um, you've got a senior role now and you're in a very uh, secret agency. Carl, you're a former diplomat. You now hold a senior role in the Office of National Intelligence, another great success story. Um, how has the experience inside ACES been for you um, and what do you think has led to success, if that's what you want, we want to call it? Yeah, so my ACES experience has been um, actually one of the better ones I've had compared to all the other organizations I've worked with. I think part of it is a result of us being a foreign intelligence service. ACES is exposed to a lot of different cultures and ethnicities. Um, so that recognition and the value of diversity is already there to some extent. It doesn't mean there are no barriers. Uh, there's still issues, but you know, that's part of why we're here today to continue improving these things. Um, and breaking down those barriers, as you identified, 
some of them are perceived, but some of them are systematic, often histori- historically systematic. Um, and we're definitely seeing progress made. I think Carl, uh, as a senior leader in the community and myself, um, are working towards reducing those barriers. Um, Raj, can you talk a little bit about how how your organization takes advantage of diversity, I guess, in its work? Yeah. Um, so, you know, starting with um, what we all bring and focusing on cold, for example, we bring language, different languages and understanding of different cultures. And that is used quite a lot in ACES. We also rely on people from diverse backgrounds to help us better understand some of the countries and places we operate overseas. And also the diversity in thinking is well leveraged. As an organization, we're setting up new ways to leverage diversity um, and actually encourage diversity. We have working groups representing um, various diversity groups, including Cold, and, and they also have senior SES champions or uh, senior executive champions. Uh, I'm actually one of the champions for ACES's Cold working groups. Um, and on top of that, there is you know um, other support from all the other seniors throughout the organization to promote and improve our diversity. Um, given the fact that we serve Australia and Australian society, we, we also know the organization needs to reflect Australian society. And currently, I think it doesn't as well as it could. Um, so that's, that's um, what the focus is to make sure as an intelligence organization, we are reflective of the society where we live and work. Yeah. What do you think some of the barriers are to increasing diversity in an agency like yours? I think I'll tackle the perceived and existing barriers. Um, The perceived ones probably start internally as a person. For example, a lot of migrants think they don't belong in an intelligence organization, often because they think they can't get through the important security clearance processes, um, especially as a first-generation migrant. I'm a good example that's not the case. I think people have to break those initial barriers within themselves to open the opportunity of working in an intelligence community. And there are also perceptions based on, um, you know, maybe, maybe people's own experiences from their own home countries where intelligence organizations um, are not considered normal work uh, places to work. Um, this is a really big difference between intelligence in Australia compared to um, other places overseas. For example, people should understand that ACES does not you know, um, use torture or blackmail in any of its operations. Uh, and, and we have um, very robust oversight and governance, including external oversight from a government perspective. Um, that's maybe a misconception some people have that we're the same as others, but, but we're not. So I think we need to break those perceptions in the migrant community first. Um, and there are also challenge um, and, and valid one from a security perspective. Um, for example, to work at ACES um, and in intelligence, you have to go through a very stringent security clearance process. Sometimes as a first generation migrant, proving your identity and, and, and your background could be difficult depending on how you left your country, but it's not impossible. Um, and these these are some of the things as a cold champion I'm working through, um, helping build a better security system so that any systematic barriers that exist for, you know, um, historical reasons are removed. 
So, so we make it easier for people to join organizations, but we can still protect our security systems. Yeah, I, I think that's a really um, good point. I mean, we 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 have ways of doing things uh, in our community. Some of them are, are, are longstanding, but as we think about uh, trying to change the way we approach some of these questions while still providing that reassurance. We, we have to look at sort of what sort of practices uh, that are more inclusive uh, in our kind of recruitment uh, in the way that we, you know, try and bring people in, help generate that awareness of the opportunities that are actually uh, available to people. Uh, and then throughout that whole process, uh, you know, how do we actually try and address uh, any biases in the way that we look at uh, these these really critical questions because at the moment uh, we know that workforce is one of our major yes. challenges and also one of our really um, major uh, enablers in terms of the skill sets that we need, the diversity of background, as Raj was talking about. And I think also fundamentally it becomes issues around sort of recognition and retention of really talented and good staff that we want. Uh, as well. Um, so all of that in, as a bit of a package, um, I think really helps bring that to, to, together. I wanted to ask, you know, in that context, I guess, are there any particular things that you're exploring or pathways that you think that we, we should be doing more of? Yeah, um, I think the focus needs to be on supporting people to get through the clearance process, because there are some simple things, for example, linked to the traditional or Western definition of a family, that is quite different for a lot of called uh, background people. A and someone could look at it and the information we are asking about family structures. Uh, and that could mean in some cultural settings, people might point to hundreds of people uh, as part of being um, their close family. So I think we need to be able to help called people understand what specific information we actually need and what we don't. Because if somebody interprets um, being asked for family information incorrectly, uh, as, as you know, all my extended family, that's going to be daunting. Um, no one's going to apply. And similarly, you know, um, we have to provide all the information of people we are in touch with overseas. That's, that's very normal. Um, so we are also trying to educate internally. Um, as a first-generation migrant or even a second-generation migrant, um, that it's quite normal for people to communicate and interact with people living overseas. Um, this should be expected and not suspected automatically. So changing those, sort of, uh, those sorts of uh, perceptions are probably, you know, they might sound simple, but I think if we can, um, they'll have big impacts on our workforce composition um, if you can tackle those. Yeah. I agree. And I think um, you hear stories of first-generation Australians self-selecting out because they don't want to put themselves through that process. So it is really about changing the perception there that it, there is reform underway and we are looking at how we do things and we're trying to do it in a different, more inclusive way um, for the longer-term benefit. Yeah, interesting. Um, and also from a retention perspective, we are talking internally to our staff and our senior leaders and everyone in the organization about being specific in their language. Because in the intelligence world, you, you're always going after an opponent or an adversary. And these opponents and adversaries are outside Australia. So being specific in your language is really important because there are nationalities and ethnicities. And it's important to understand sometimes they can be interchangeably um, but incorrectly used. 
And, and when you're selecting the language to use regarding different societies or cultures, you need to be very specific. Otherwise, you can make your own staff feel like you're coming after them. So we're sort of going through a campaign called Words Matter. It's all about being very specific in your communication. As an example, um, I think it's really important that we don't use a broad brush to describe people as being from one country or the other. Ethnicity is one thing, uh, but that doesn't mean they necessarily come from that country or are loyal to it. So I think being specific is really important. As an example, um, we should specifically refer to rank or title um, for, for an individual and not refer to them as being from a particular country or the other. I'm actually quite encouraged by ACES' senior leadership on how we better use language to describe different countries and places. I can definitely see the language changing in our communications internally to sort of, you know, um, understand that some people might think they're being unfairly singled out because of their ethnicity or where they might have come from. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In this disrupted world, Australia needs security professionals more than ever. Join the next generation studying at the ANU National Security College. Our programs uniquely fuse academic knowledge with practitioner experience and fit around your lifestyle with study offered online and on campus. Follow the link in the show notes for more information about programs and scholarships. The ANU National Security College. Engaging minds for a secure Australia. So Raj, I'm interested, how, how did the Words Matter campaign start within uh, ACES? Yeah, um, so it was as a result of a called working group feedback. Uh, people were reluctant to talk to and raise these issues because people thought that um, it might impact their careers or security clearance. So until the working group was stood up and we had the champions stood up, these things didn't sort of um, come to the visibility of the organization. So the support network is really important. And, and we also internally, um, and not related to diversity, um, promoting a bigger speak-up culture in the organization. So all the different working groups uh, came together for us to sort of understand there is this challenge that we need to tackle. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. Those um, There are a lot of working groups around, and we can often think they don't achieve a, a lot that, that we, you know, we just talk, we, we sit around a table and we talk, but actually it's those small things which do make a big difference and the power of numbers where you can have a collective saying to everyone else, let's change our language, let's approach the way we look at things a little bit differently. It's very powerful. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm not sure whether, you know, people always see that difference, but I see difference between um, inclusiveness and belonging. For me, something as simple as using correct language and simple words make people feel like they belong. Inclusiveness is just the starting point, but I think we need to get to a point where everyone feels like they belong. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. For, for, for that, I guess, that's 
your organization. Um, you know, we, we've talked about uh, the fact that um, across uh, our national intelligence community, there are a number of different organizations who have networks mm-hmm. looking at cultural and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Um, what, what would you say, I guess, in terms of trying to bring that together? How, how would you see that playing a role um, in trying to, to, to foster that uh, inclusivity and diversity more broadly? Um, I think we are probably at the moment, as a call community, uh, we're probably I- in very early stages of what gender diversity went through originally. Like people not willing to speak up or raise issues yet. So we need to, as a community, come together and make it comfortable and acceptable for people to identify and put on the table the challenges they're facing. I think all these networks are making that possible. But, th- but there are currently pockets of people operating independently. Um, Carl's leading that community engagement, and I think we will get there soon. And, and once we have that all-of-community approach, I think we can make much faster progress, probably because um, at the moment we're still trying to work in small working groups, you know, and, and, and we all have day jobs, and we're trying to make improvements out of volunteering hours. But as a community, if we come together, we work together, I think the power of the collective will probably accelerate that change. Yep, absolutely. Um, If you could ask your employer to focus on three things, either to increase, further increase the diversity of your workforce or make it more inclusive or belonging, what would you recommend? I'm going to ask the same of you, Carl. Yep, Um, probably I'll focus on retention and recruitment. Um, From a recruitment perspective, I think we need to do more to help call people understand they can work in an intelligence organization such as ours. Um, And as I've said, partly shown by me being here and taking part in this podcast, it's clear that the organization is is willing to provide the support to called people and welcome this in. And it doesn't matter um, whether you're a first-generation migrant or not. The second part is from a recruitment perspective, we need to make sure that all people who sit on the recruitment panel they understand some of the challenges migrants face in, especially um, when facing interviews. As, a, as an example, most first-generation migrants will have to go through an internal translation process before they answer a question. And, and that might come across to the panel as a very slow response, but the panel needs to understand and recognize that because they're first you know, translating your question in their head and then translating the answer back to you. Um, the education of people who are involved in the recruitment is probably key. Um, and, and the third part is, like I said, the, the Words Matter campaign. The leaders need to show that diversity matters and it's valued. And it's not just diversity or merit. It's actually combined. Um, it's merit plus diversity, not one or the other. Yep. Excellent. Carl, you got three? Uh, I don't know if I have three, but I, I, I agree, <laughs> I agree uh, a lot with the things that Raj has just kind of put on the table uh, to, to get to that. And I think this is important. One is around normalizing the conversation. Yeah. And you know, the podcast series that we're doing uh, has been part of that. It's also been about trying to generate the internal conversation within our agencies and between our agencies as, as a community and kind of lifting that up. Uh, getting the senior endorsement to to back diversity and inclusion as a priority um, for the reasons that it is beneficial both to individuals but also critically to the organisational 
capabilities that we aspire to. Uh, so that I think is really important. Then coming back into, I think, the, the systems and policies and processes that, that actually support and nurture that, I think, is, is really what is important because similarly, you know, we're, we're looking at how do we better educate and how do we better bring recruitment processes mm. along to help eliminate bias, to, to check exactly um, whether or not we, we have got the balance right, uh, and then being able to support people through the process to get to the point where they actually can come in the door. That's, yeah. that's really important. And, and the second thing that, that uh, I guess I'll, 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 I'll sort of back Raj up on is particularly around re uh, representation and uh, retention. Those two things kind of go hand in hand because it's so difficult to get people at times. Uh, being able to hang on to the people that you've got and value them, that sense of belonging is critical. Uh, and we see it, I think, in, in our staff that uh, a number of them are feeling, um, you know, brave enough to come out and say, here are the sort of things that would really help us. Um, so being able to, to use that as a bit of a springboard to, 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 to make that organisational change, I think is the kind of the critical path um, for us. And the last thing I'd say is really answering the question I sort of put, posed before. I think there is kind of power in numbers here because the networks themselves are very small. Yep. And so the more that we can do together as a community, I think the better it enables us to actually um, push things forward. Uh, as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask um, what advice you might give young called Australians who may be interested in working in national security, um, specifically an agency like yours, ACES? What would you recommend to them? Yeah, first of all, there are many pathways within ACES. There's a STEM pathway. There's a particular intelligence officer pathway. Basically, I think anyone who has, you know, um, an interest in contributing to the Australian society has a pathway within ACES. The second part is you, you need to break your internal barriers. Um, like I said earlier, because you don't have control of um, other systematic barriers or others that, you know, we may have that we, we, we're trying to tackle. But if you are not going to give it a go, we will never get there. So the first thing is that you have to do is give it a go. And if you do, you can have a fulfilling career and grow within the organization towards senior leadership. Because take me, for example, um, when I originally left Sri Lanka for Australia, I never dreamed that, you know, I'd be working as a chief technology officer for Australia's premier secret intelligence organization. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, that's a good point. Do, do you think... Are there things that we, we should be doing to better market those opportunities to, to people from cold backgrounds? Yeah, um, so definitely we are trying to do more and send people uh, to university graduate campaigns because I think people need to see it to believe it. Um, we, we also need to figure out a better way to show this because we do not have a reasonable cold representation at the moment, but it is slowly getting better. Um, it needs to improve, but it has improved since I joined the organization. But I think people need to see it not just um, from our words as a community. Intelligence um, organizations in the community need to send diverse people to these recruitment campaigns and people then can see them and not just in universities. But, you know, um, everywhere we're focusing on campaigning, we need to demonstrate to call people all around Australia that you can have a career in our intelligence community 
Um, and we also need to be more targeted in our recruitment campaigns as well. It's, it's a difficult thing to do called because there is not a single place to target, but, but we need to come up with a way to sort of do more focused called recruitment campaigns. Yeah. And to, to sort of talk to communities too, um, before kids go to university, before they start really thinking about what career they want, really sowing the seed that working in public sector, working in national security, working in intelligence are valid career choices, great career options. And I think your story too about coming to an agency like ACES a little bit later, not as a graduate, not first off, is also a really powerful story that there are ways to get into when you have already forged a career and you're looking to change and do something a bit different, I think is also a really powerful story, actually. Yeah, exactly. And I um, think also we need to change some some of the perceptions around um, within the migrant communities around intelligence organizations. Um, in ACES, people don't know this, but we actually have an ethical counselor, and he plays a great role in making sure whatever we do is ethical as well. And if people um, are at any times concerned about something we're doing ethically, they can put up their hand and raise any issues without any fear uh, to their careers. So, you know, this 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 bit is actually quite different to where maybe um, where they come from compared to how Australian intelligence organizations work. So from there, uh, what what would you say around challenges um, in your experience? Like we, we've talked a, lo- a lot about the... The, the different sort of um, benefits around cold uh, diversity and other things. But what sort of challenges do people still experience today? Um, Challenges-wise, I think there are still certain, you know, w- when you only have a few people representing from a certain ethnic background, people still mix up their names. So still it's, it's, it's clear that people see ethnicity first before the individual's. I think unless you broaden your numbers, there's still going to be um, an issue that's still going to continue to happen because at the moment you might be the only Indian-looking person or there's two Indian-looking people um, and, and they go, ah, oh, is, it, is it that person or this person? And again, um, there is the language perspective because when it comes to discussing certain intelligence challenges and threats, we can risk becoming adversarial towards certain societies and groups. So we need to always be mindful of the words that we use. So, you know, we, we continue making sure that people feel like they belong and they are contributing. And I think we need to make sure our processes are transparent enough that they understand whatever opportunities they get or don't get is not due to their diversity. And diversity is celebrated and not used to discriminate. So, yeah, the transparency is important. Yeah. Can I ask a question about, um, you know, when you work for ACES, you can't say who you work for, Um Friends, sometimes family don't know. How how does that work for you? And and is it different for people? You know, com- migrant communities, cold communities. Is it a harder? Is it a ch- is it challenging? I think it's actually easier that you don't actually tell them that you're working for an intelligence community because you know I'm not sure how it will be viewed. Um, even in my own Sri Lankan community, if they, if they come to know that I'm actually working in an intelligence community, it could cause some people close to you to be concerned. Um, so being able to be vague about where I work helps, especially because um, a lot of people in the migrant communities have ties back to their country of origin. They have friends and relatives. So being vague also actually helps um, from my perspective. 
Um, I just say I work in IT and no one really wants to talk about <laughs> IT. So it, it, it actually makes it quite easy. But, but do, you, do you find that that uh, that ask of you, is that do you find that something that's difficult or do you find it something that you, 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 can, you can sort of reconcile relatively easily? Um, I think it takes a while to reconcile because, you know, it's, it's not a science. It's actually just um, about being considered in how you talk about where you work. Um, it took me probably a whole year to fully come to terms and be comfortable with speaking confidently about where I work. Um, but but that, that is unique to, um, I think, the remit of the organization. I, I think in the community, there are other organizations um, who are probably more open about where they work because they're legally allowed to be. But it is challenging coming from a migrant community, especially if people come to know where you work. We, we also don't know um, how other intelligence services might react if they find out. So always protecting where we actually work is really important from a security um, point of view. Yeah, indeed. Are there any messages that you sort of would like to give to our listeners, of which there, I'm sure there are many, um, about working in intelligence, about these opportunities, about the career, about your organisation? Is there any sort of, I guess, even just to finish up on really, is there any sort of key takeaways you'd like people to, to hear today? Yeah, it, it's probably about, you know, ACES is a really good place to work um, and it's a rewarding place to work because you see the impact you're making helping protect Australia. And you can actually link back your effort to the difference you're making. So in that sense, um, it is a very rewarding career. And like every organization has challenges, and we are working through those diversity challenges. But I, but I think it's, it's on an improving path. Um, and, you know, I, I can attest to it and say it's actually a very good place to work. Um, and there's a lot of focus on diversity in my organization and within the community to make sure that we are removing any systematic barriers as well. Oh, look, I, I'd just say that uh, we, we, as we said earlier, we're, we're at the beginning mm. of, of that, but we are working hard, I think, as, as a community to, to look at how we tackle those challenges, trying to do it together, find those opportunities to, to, to build uh, and work on those barriers so that uh, and, and better explain what we do and better connect to those uh, that, that we want to connect to. Which it might be a good way to say to Raj, how if people want to know more about ACES and careers and job opportunities, where do they go or how do they get in touch? Yeah, so the main portal is probably our website, aces.gov.au. Um, that's your main avenue. Um, and there are multiple pathways for recruitment. There's the normal advertisements for specific jobs. There are portals there. If you're a public servant and then you can just put in an expression of interest and someone will, will get in touch with you. There's also a lot of information about career pathways on our website, so you can you can, you can pick and choose which one interests you um, the most. But yeah, the website is probably the best option. Brilliant! Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's an important conversation. It's very good of Aces to allow you to speak. I think, to be honest, and um, for people to be able to hear from someone who's firmly entrenched in. The organization. So thank you very, very much for your time. Well, thanks, Caroline, for um, for 
hosting, co-hosting today. Uh, and thank you to Raj for uh, being a part of it. I think uh, what a unique opportunity here mm. uh, directly from someone, uh, first of its kind for, for ACES today. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's great to see um, that uh, our agencies are so engaged and interested in uh, cultural linguistic diversity as part of their workforce uh, future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity as well. Um, thanks for having me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.